are in the middle of a series uh, called Partnering with God. And just a a quick summary, um, the enemy, Satan, he wants you and I to be consumed. He wants us to be busy. He he wants us to be distracted uh, with anything other than what God has planned for us to do. Uh, While we unpack this, we're going to see clearly that God actually has a specific assignment for you. And the enemy does not want you to pay attention to that assignment at all. And so it's called partnering with God. Um, And so uh, let me just kind of open up with a a quick story. Um, I was at this this ball here in the woodlands, and uh, they... Uh, they were raising money, and the way they were raising money was they, was au- they were auctioning things off. And so uh, when you walk into the ball, I think it was at the, the Marriott Waterway, when you walk into the ball, um, they give you a, a paddle. It looks like this, right? And uh, as, as you walk in, uh, you, you take the paddle and you set it next to the dinner plate, and they have some form of entertainment, and then somebody will come up there and they'll begin to auction things like paintings or vacations or whatever. Well, my wife and I were invited. We were invited to the event, uh, and so we were the guests, and so we were just enjoying the evening, enjoying the good dinner, enjoying the company. But um, every time we go, we always take our paddle and put it right under our dinner plate and begin to enjoy our evening period. And uh, we just eat, and that's where it is. Well, um, the guy comes up, and uh, he does his thing. And if you've, ever been, not, if you've ever seen one in person, it's just, it's just unbelievable, because the guy will come up there, and he'll show something like a painting or a statue or a, you know, a golf membership for a year or whatever. And he'll get up there, and he'll go, okay, we're going to start the bidding at 40,000. Got 40,000, 40,000, 40,000. 40, can I get a 41, 41, 41, 40, can I get a 42,000, 42,000, 42,000. 42, 47, 47, can I get a 47, can I get 47,000, 47,000, can I get another 52, 52, 52, 52, 52,000, 52,000, can I get a 78, 78, 78,000, can I get a 78, 78, once in a lifetime opportunity, once in a lifetime, 78, 78, can I get a 78,000, can I get 100,000, $100,000 for this, for this cup, can I get $100,000? Hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand, hundred thousand, and what they do is they raise their paddle. Can I get a hundred thousand? Hundred thousand dollars. They're gonna get it in seventy-five, seventy-five, seventy-five thousand. I promise, true story. I was in Houston, downtown Houston, at one of these things, and they just wanted to warm the crowd up. So they put a, a cup of water, like a plastic cup of water, just to get everyone warmed up. I'm gonna start the bidding off at forty dollars. can I get $300 for this cup of water? I'm like, freaking out, $300, I'm drinking water at my table, we all have water on the table, can I get $400, and I'm like, Shut up. So anyway, at some point during the auction, um, I, the, the waiter and waitress came and took our plates. Okay? The auction is over. So the guy comes up and he says, all right, we don't have anything to auction off anymore. 
does anyone here just want to give a thousand dollars? Anyone thousand dollars, thousand dollars, one, and it goes a thousand people just popping their things. A thousand dollars, thousand dollars, thousand dollars. Does anyone here want to give seven hundred and fifty dollars? And seven hundred fifty, seven hundred fifty. It gets down to two hundred dollars. I'm just sitting there drinking my coffee, enjoying my cheesecake. He goes, does anyone here want to give $200, $200? And somebody sitting next to me, Ty, grabs, grabs my paddle and raises it up. Number one, 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 $200. I didn't even know what to say. Allie's looking, I'm looking at Allie, I'm like, Did I just get a cup of water? Did I get anything? That was just, I didn't even get a cup of water. That was just, I'll give you 200 bucks. And I'm like, what? Who are we giving $200 to? And, and I, I think I had like 17 in my pocket. And everyone at the table's laughing. I'm laughing. You know that nervous laugh? Like, <laughs> I owe them <laughs> $200. My head is sweaty. I got beads of sweat coming down. Allie's like, <laughs> you know those snake fake smiles? <sighs> Everyone's laughing like, ah, 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 ah. couldn't believe it. So the people that we were with were like, ah, oh, here's $200. We got $200 right here. I'm like, I got plastic. We'll take care of it. So uh, we went and take care of it, and we, we, we said, you know, thank you. Uh, we'll, we'll pay for it. What, what ex- who's this money going to? And so we got that feel-good feeling, and I'm glad we gave. Um, but nevertheless, I'll never forget, auctions is when you see something that you're willing to invest in, you raise your paddle. You raise your paddle. You say, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And here's my question to you. If I were to stand up here and say, God wants to partner with you every day of your life. How many of you go, I'm in? And how many of you have already made a pre-decision decision? The paddle is underneath your dinner plate and you you have no intentions of picking that up because your life is full as it is. The only thing you want to make sure of is you want to check the box and make sure that you're going to heaven because we don't like the other option. And we also want to check the box to make sure that God is going to help us whenever we need him. But as far as partnering with him, as far as saying, God, what do you have planned for my life? Because that's what I want to do. That paddle is underneath our dinner plate. Let me unpack a few thoughts for us. In Psalms chapter 139, verses 13 and 14, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows you very well. I'm going to read three scriptures in quick succession, so listen to me. Watch this. In part one, it's saying, I literally took my hands and put it in your mother's womb and formed you. Uh, with all three of our kids, Allie used to get these emails 
uh, that would say on, on week two, um, your, your baby is, 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 the heartbeat is getting stronger. And then it's like on week 11, your baby is getting ears. On, on week 9, the nose is forming. And uh, you know what I'm talking about, those, those little updates. This is God. On week 12, God is literally pulling the arms out and pulling the legs out. His hands were in your mother's womb forming you. Isn't that amazing? I know what you're thinking. Frankie, he forgot hair. (laughs) In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. No, I'm sorry, your fill-in is God formed every part of you. And if you're keeping track on the app. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, it reads this. Even before he made the world. Everyone say, before he made the world. Before he made the world, he knew you. I'm sorry. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So your feeling is this. Before God created the world, he knew you and loved you. Catch this. When God had the greatest fireworks show in the history of mankind. Think about all those stars. Then the planets. And then he pulls the mountains out of the grounds. Before he did any of that, he saw you. And he predetermined that when you and I make mistakes, he is not going to see the fault. He is not going to see the mistakes from the moment we say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. You're my Lord and Savior. From that moment on, he does not see you with fault. I want to tell everybody here, if you beat yourself up because you've said things or you've done things, and that is the enemy putting those discouraging thoughts into your mind because the Lord already predetermined before you are ever born because Jesus did what he did over 2,000 years ago. Nobody here is 2,000 years old. Some of us look 2,000 years, feel 2,000 years, God looked up and he said, my son Jesus, his blood has made you pure. And so when I look at you, you have no fault. Write this down on your notes if you would. Before you were born, God already determined that you would be without fault. Let me read this third verse real quick. It reads like this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. God prepared the plan he had for you and I before we were born. So let's put these three scriptures together. Before the fireworks show, before he created anything, Before he pulled mountains out of the ground, he saw you, he loved you, he already determined that he was not going to see you with fault. Now here's the kicker, if that's not mind-blowing enough, before you were born, 
he begins to write out a plan for your life. So when he formed you, the plan had already been written. So when he designed you, he designed you for the plan. He already had a, uh, when, when an architect designs a building, he draws the building and then he cuts the wood. God had the plan and then he made you the way you are perfectly for the plan. Now watch this. When uh, I was born, he made me to love things neat. He made me that way. If you go into my office, it looks like nobody offices out of there. There is not a speck of dust anywhere. If you get in my car right now, you will be hard-pressed to find dirt. It, it's, it's just the way I am. Now, my house looks like the World War III, but we have three kids, so I just jump in and blow the place up with them. But... <laughs> It is, my, it is my nature, it is my design to be meticulous about things because God knew I was going to pastor in the woodlands and have to deal with the woodlands township. <laughs> Do you know that the woodlands township, I love them, but they actually called us and said, you're mowing your grass wrong. If there's anyone a part of the township, this is a compliment in a roundabout way. Just hold on. <laughs> so we were mowing our grass, and they were like, your grass is beautiful, but you're actually not supposed to be mowing that part. That's the part the city mows. Oh, we're so sorry. We will not mow that anymore. We mowed it wrong. Only in the woodlands. <laughs> we went to go make sure, this was a couple years ago, to make sure that our monument sign fit the spec because it can't be any longer than 10 feet, any higher than 5 feet. You can be McDonald's or Celebration Church. It's not going to be any higher or bigger than that. So I'm sitting in line waiting to find out if we can approve our sign. The guy before me has got to get permission to cut down his tree in his backyard because the trunk is bigger than 6 inches. Seriously, are we really doing this right now? We're really doing this. I got a friend of mine that can't have a palm tree in front of his business because palm trees don't grow in this part of the world naturally. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Dr. Ray. But anyway, here's the thing. God knew he was going to put me in the woodlands. So when he made me, he made me to be consumed with neat and details because he knew this is where I'm going. God made you with all your idiosyncrasies, with all the things you like, all the things you don't like, everything that makes you mad, all the things that you could care less about. He made you perfect for the plan that he wrote before he made you. He made you for the plan. He didn't, you didn't show up and he goes, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with him? <laughs> oh shoot. Oh my goodness. I didn't see her coming. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know what to do with her. Just make something up. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That, that's not what happened. 
And so if you're anything like me, you're thinking to yourself, if you made the plan before you made the world, what is the plan? Because the last thing I want to do is spend my whole life doing something that you didn't want me to do. Is there anyone with me? So here's the thing. Let's begin to unpack this. What is it that God actually wants us to do? In in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, it gives my job description as a pastor and your job description as the people of God. It reads like this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility, here it comes, Frankie, listen up. Their responsibility is to equip God's people. Now here comes your part. To do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So here's your fill-in in the app. It, responsibility of the pastor is to equip God's people. My job, when I stand before God, he's going to say to me, amongst other things, because the Bible says that teachers get judged more harshly than you guys. So he's going to say on the list of questions, did you equip the church to do ministry did you give them the tools and did you give them the options did you put them in a position to minister see when I was growing up I would show up to church would sit down we would watch the minister enjoy the sermon on a good day he didn't bat a thousand like me, but enjoy the sermon. And then we would go back to our, our lives as citizens of the United States. What the Bible actually says is that the pastor teaches the body of Christ how to do the work of God. Isn't that amazing? That it's you that makes the local church bigger and stronger and more mature. And it's you who makes the kingdom of God crowded. Watch this. Let's unpack this. Point number one. I am a minister. As you're writing that down or typing that in, everybody say that out loud. I am a minister. One, two, three. Say it again. One, two, three. Now, before you mentally or emotionally push back on that, let me just say this. There's a few words in our Christianese vernacular that are not in the Bible. We have adopted them. Uh, it, they're in our common lingo, but it's not in the Bible. I'll give you an example. Clergy. My wife and I went to the hospital yesterday to visit somebody, and there's a sign that says, Reserved for Clergy. So that means me. So I park in that spot. Clergy in our world means you're a pastor or a minister of a sort. There's a, you're in the hierarchy of the church world. But if you figure out why isn't clergy in the Bible? 
Because clergy is a term that's actually a derivative of the word clerk or cleric. And in the medieval times, that word was introduced as a person. Here comes the definition. A person who can read. See, not everybody in those days could read. And so if you were one of the few who could read, it was requested upon you that you would stand up and open up the Bible and read. And so if you read the Bible to people, you're a cleric, you're a clerk, you're a, you're a part of the clergy. So I'm so proud to say that I'm a part of the clergy because, well, I can read. <laughs> but, the word minister, here's another example. You can't find the word minister in the Bible either. And why is that? Especially the New King James Version. Maybe you can find it in the version of the Bible that you, that you have now that we're trying to get some of our vernacular, everyday terms into it. Um, but you can't find the word minister. And why is that? Because the word minister does not mean what you think it means. It means to care for. Or to assume the responsibility for. So you are a minister. Because God has called you. According to the scripture. That you are to do the work of the people and build up the church. The church is not a building. The church is people. So it is you that are a minister. Because you adopt or care for the well-being of someone else. You are the minister. Am I a part of that? Absolutely. But it's you that, are, that is a minister. I'd like to uh, share this, this scripture. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result... You can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So here's the, the last feeling of this section. Before God created the world, he planned for you to be a minister to show others the goodness of God. Now here's the next section I want to talk about. There's three sections. Is how do I minister? How do I do that? And the first thing of three is, through your gifts and passions. Watch this. In Romans chapter 12, verse 6 through 8, it says this. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others. See, some people really enjoy serving people. Serve them well. If you are a teacher, does anybody here give leadership, a teaching to anyone in your world? Maybe you have children, maybe it's at work, you're a teacher, you teach people how to do anything. You're responsible for giving instruction. Raise your hand if you're responsible for giving instruction. Absolutely. It says, if you are a teacher, then teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, then give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Let me pause there. I'm a two-talent guy. I got two. 
Um, people that have more, like our worship leader, Isaiah, irritate me. <laughs> I, he gets up here, and he's like, yeah, me and my wife lead a music school. I'm like, awesome, jerk. He plays the guitar, and then he goes over here and he plays the, the keys, and, and then he comes over here and plays the drums, and then he comes over here and sings, and then him and his wife sit down and are like, oh, you know, God just touched our hearts, and we wrote a song. I'm like, <laughs> so cool with your hair. She's got all these talents, you know, just sitting around, you know. <laughs> Whatever. There's some people that just have a lot of talents, you know. There's some people that are just naturally good with numbers and math. Is that you? Raise your hand if you're just naturally good at that. Get out. Go leave. <laughs> leave. No, nobody likes you. Get out. <laughs> Just naturally good at numbers. I'm a two-talent guy. I got two. Two. But this one just says, if God has given you a leadership ability, just throw me that bone, okay? Because I only have two, so don't take it away. <laughs> it, that's one. And the second one is, it says here that he gave the gift of pastoring. So I got two. I'm a pastor and I'm a leader. That's not always, you can't always find leadership in a pastor and you can't always find pastoring in a leader. Uh, so I have two. Uh, many of you have six, seven, eight, nine. My wife has like 12. I got to live with that. I got to live with that. It, it's only got two, but the, the Bible says this, just take your gift and do it well. Just do it well. It, partner with me and do it well. Here's the thing. Number two, the first one is, is, is how do we minister? It's through my gifts and passions. But then number two is through my life experience. See, um, has anyone here ever been through hell sideways? <laughs> um, you, you, just, you just went through a season of life where it's just really hard. See, experience is what you get when you don't get what you want, if you think about it. And uh, some of us have loads of experience. Um, but there's something that is just a truth in this world, is, is the years will teach what the days never will. And so we take this experience, and, and we take these moments, and these moments are experiences is what we use to share with others these moments. So it's our experiences. Number three is our pain. We use our pain. Watch this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, it says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. Watch this. So that, everybody say so that. So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. See, 
I don't know each of your stories, but I imagine if you have any years underneath you at all, that you, like me, like my wife, we've gone through certain seasons, certain rough patches, where we just look back on it and we think to ourselves, that was one of the hardest seasons of my life. And some of you are in it right now. I just look back and there, there's one particular season where I was thinking about it the other day. I was going down the wrong path and going down it fast. And I look back and I see, it, it, it seemed like just chaos then, but in hindsight, I can see him taking this friend out of my life. And him and I were, we were boys. He took him out of my life. And then he took another guy out of my life. And then he took this person and that person and then moved me all together. And I think back to myself, I don't know if you can connect to this. God, thank you. Because if you wouldn't have rescued me, I was going to ruin my life. I was, I was going to ruin my life. Or here's, here's another way of saying it. I was burying myself. I don't know if you can connect to that, but there's certain seasons where I just look back and go, I was burying myself. And I was ignoring you while I was doing it. And you came to get me. You, you came to get me. You rescued me. You pulled me out of that. Is there anybody with me? You pulled me out. And you look back on it and you go, thank you. And, but when you look back on it, it was a painful season. It was a hurting season. Maybe it was a season where you lost somebody and you went into a deep depression. I feel like I'm talking to somebody in particular here because you lost them. You lost her, but there was this loss and you just, you couldn't understand it because it just didn't make sense. And, and you're just spiraling down, 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 confused, depressed, down. And you still don't have all the answers, but you can, you know that the grip of God pulled you out of that. And, and there's, you'll, you'll get the answers when you get to heaven, but right now you just know that God pulled you out of that spiral. And these are called the painful moments of life. And as we minister to people, we have to not cover up our pain. Like I'm trying to heal myself. I'm trying to cover up. I'm going to heal myself and cover up. No, 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 no. We back up and we say, mixed into the pain is a healing power that heals people when we share our pain. You know, when, when somebody is going through, I know Allie is constantly in prayer for her dad uh, because he's, you know, he could die within this next week. He was supposed to die a year and a half ago and he's still alive, praise God. But she's constantly praying for her dad. 
And I'll never, ever forget, I've shared this before, we went out to dinner with Sarah and Todd Stevens, and, and Todd lost his, uh, his, his first wife, and he shared this testimony publicly, otherwise I wouldn't be sharing it right now, but Sarah, I'm sorry, Allie looked at Todd and said, how'd you get through? And Sarah and I both had to back up from the conversation and just listen. Because Sarah nor I have ever lost somebody that we love. So we did not have the ability to connect with Allie and to help her through this process. Todd had the ability He experienced the pain, so he has the healing ability. Your pain has a healing ability. I want to tell you that when the Lord calls you to minister, which is our point number one, the point number two is how do I do that? Yes, you use your strengths, you use your passions, you use your experiences, but don't forget to use your pain. Ministry involves the sacrifice of personal desires. Because your personal desire is not to share what hurts. Who wants to pick the scab? Um, If you don't sacrifice your personal desires, you will sacrifice your personal ministry. Um, Part of my job and Point number three is where do I minister? Well, the first answer to that is anywhere and everywhere. But it's my job, it's my role as a pastor is to give you an opportunity. I need to give you an opportunity to minister. I'm responsible for that. You're responsible for saying yes or no. That's your responsibility. My responsibility is to give you an opportunity. Whether you say yes or no, you have to stand before God, but I have to make sure that I'm equipping you. So how do I give you that responsibility? Well, what, what we do as a team is we do something called life groups. We stole it out of Acts chapter 2. And, and life groups meet throughout the city, in homes, in restaurants, wherever they need to meet. They get together in groups and we give you an outline and discussion questions and we cultivate the discussion. There's groups for singles, groups for married people, groups for younger people. I think the last I heard there was over 30 something groups that are signed up for this upcoming semester. There are only seven meetings between the time that we start until Christmas, which is the end of the semester. And can I just say, we always, I want you to hear me say this, in the three or four years that we've been doing life groups, we have this many people sign up on a Sunday to be a part, and we have this many people actually show up. Do you know why? Because it requires sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice. Very rarely will you be sitting around thinking, man, I got nothing to do today. Nothing. I wish I had something to do. Oh, it's life group. Perfect. (laughs) That's never, ever, ever going to happen. It's always going to be like, oh, a life group. 
I got to figure this out. I was thinking about this this morning. Nobody calls into work and says, hey, I didn't come today because I didn't have time. (laughs) I was so busy, I couldn't come to work. My bad, I'm sorry. Nobody says, oh, I was going to go to sleep last night, but I didn't have time. What? But I was going to eat. I haven't eaten all week long. It's the craziest thing. I haven't had one meal. Why? I've been so busy. What? We build our life around things that we must do. And I'm going to tell you that the call of God on your life is something that we must do. And that's why we say you can meet in the morning, you can meet in the night, you can meet in the afternoon, you can meet whenever you want to meet. But for all that's good and holy, minister. Minister. If you don't lead a group, then join a group. But don't come back and say, oh, I'm so busy. No. You either sacrifice your personal desires or you sacrifice your ministry. It's one of the two. And I want to let you know, I've heard all the excuses in the world. And you know what I say every time I hear excuses? Every time. I go, I hear that. I hear that. I hear that. Oh, absolutely. I I hear that. Because I'm not going to sit here and wrestle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hey, I I had to step back because I'm, I'm just so... Okay, I understand. Hey, for sure, I understand. For sure. You know why? Because at this point, it's between you and God. I'm doing my job. I'm doing my job. I'm giving you opportunity. I'm sending people your way. I've opened it up. I'm equipping you on Sunday. But if you don't want to raise your paddle because you're too busy, well, then, hey, I... But don't ever say that Celebration Church didn't give you an opportunity. I'd like to share with you uh, an experience. Why don't you shut the lights down and watch this uh, video right here. All right, so Tina and Valerie, thanks so much for coming in today. And I just wanted to visit with you guys about life groups. And I wanted to hear a little bit about your story. I mean, are life groups something that you've always sort of grown up with? Is it new since you've been at Celebration? You know, just tell me a little bit about your background and, and what you think. Yeah, I've never, I'd never heard of a life group just on Bible study. So even when I started going, I mm-hmm. kind of thought, with me more like a Bible study, but it was a little different atmosphere, which I really... I How really would like. you describe the atmosphere? Because um, it's not a it's lecture. It's, it's not like not, a Bible it's study. Easy. It's laid back. Yeah. It's friendly. It's mm-hmm. You feel at home with your group of people. Mm-hmm. Right. They become your friends. You're their friend. It is the most easy, comfortable thing to be in. Tell me a little bit about how you ended up leading a life group, Valerie. We went to Ty's life group, mm-hmm. and she would always tease, oh, you're teaching it next time, and Tina, it's at your house. But for me to teach it and know that, hey, you want me to teach these women? Like, what could they learn from me? Like, really? I mean, because I was in a time in my life that I just, the lowest time in my life, honestly, the lowest of lows of lows, which I didn't really talk about it to people, so I was like... Can you tell us okay. a little bit about where you were at? Well, I had went through a divorce, and I just... Um, it was just a bad time in my life, just a very dark time, a very lonely time. I've always been with someone since I was 18. I'm now 44 and I'm alone and just a very dark time. So I'm thinking, you want me to teach? And I don't even want to go, much less teach. I don't have, I mean, I'm right now I'm trying to breathe, but I have always learned that when you're going through the hardest times of your life, if you can give out what you're wanting, even though it's hard, if you can... Even though you don't want to do it, there's you're gonna there's gonna be a blessing in that valley. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'm in the valley, 
And I was like, Lord, if you really want me to do this, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but I'll just Jump. take it one day at a time and, yeah. and just, you know, and I was nervous and I would get to the Bible studies and it's like the first, I would say one or two. And then it was, I don't know, then everybody's kind of has your, your back kind of, yeah. so to speak. So did you feel qualified to lead a group? Absolutely not. <laughs> No, not even kind of, sort of. Right. Not even close to kind of, sort of. I just think putting yourself out there in front of a group of people that at the beginning you don't know. Even though you do know a few of the friends, there will be people who come into your life group that you don't know. Putting yourself out there, making sure everything is okay, like your house is good enough. Or, or, you know, I don't think I can leave this because um, I don't have decorations or anything. It has nothing to do with that. But it's facing that and first trying that before you realize I can do this. God qualified me a long time ago. I love that, Tina. So I love what you say. You just got to put yourself out there. Got to put yourself out there. Yeah. We sometimes get caught up in the, is my house clean enough? Do I have time for this? I'm tired. What are they going to eat? And we just kind of don't know that it's making much of a difference. And I want you guys to know that leading a life group has not only made a difference in your lives, but you've made a difference in these women's lives. Mm Dear Valerie and Tina, thank you so much for leading and hosting our life group this spring. This incredible group of ladies have become so much more than new friends. The life group is truly an outlet where I feel safe, loved, and encouraged every time we meet. Valerie, you have blossomed into a lovely disciple of Christ, and I can see how he is changing your life. It took courage to lead this group, and you did a fantastic job. Tina, your home is absolutely beautiful, and your hospitality is gracious. Thank you for letting us come in to listen, share, and pray. Our group has become such an important part of my life, something that I never had before. Much love, Katrina. I feel so immensely blessed to be a part of this group. This group has healed a childhood wound for me. It's no secret about my challenges with my mother. I remember the day I opened up about her and let you guys know that I felt used and mostly unloved by her. Some of you guys started sharing how you felt unloved also. I could not believe my ears. I thought it was because I was adopted. My heart was healed in that hour. If not for the ladies' life group, I would not have the support I need in daily life. Our prayer group is so powerful. I see the miracles in our prayers, even if it's peace of mind. I schedule my work around this. I just do not ever want to miss. Thank you a thousand times for all the positive changes that has given me. Dear Tina and Valerie, thank you for introducing me to Celebration Church. It's been the most profound thing that has occurred in my adult life. The way you are all so transparent, down to earth, you're so kind, loving and giving, it allows me to feel comfortable in learning and growing with you and through you. You all had me at hello with your love, admiration, and respect over time. Through the life group, I feel like I have an extended family. I feel like you are family. I care about each of you so deeply. I can't even imagine life without each of you. I really just can't express the value I feel. What's more important than growing closer to the Lord and having a support group that even through life's most stressful and toughest days make you feel loved and like God see our value from our heart? so we feel more worthy from the inside out. 
Did you guys have any idea when you're meeting yeah. week in and week out, you're doing that in women's lives? My heart lives? is beating so fast. And so <laughs> now you can ask me, you get mm. way more than right. you give. Mm. Yes. And that might make me cry, but you get way more than you give. So this is the part where we get to interact a little bit. Would you put those prompts on the screen and, and through the app you can sign up to lead a group or join a group. And I'd like for you to go ahead and do that right now if you would.